One of the things that uh, you will probably uh, realize if you've ever been in love or if you have um, been in a relationship with people, um, if you're a parent or if you uh, have a, a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, one of the things that's just standard nature in a relationship is when you love somebody, uh, you want to please them. And you want to please them by finding out the things that they're passionate about and then giving them things that they're passionate about. That's simple human nature. That's simple relationship 101. That's simple uh, love. And so as uh, Olivia and I started dating many, many years back, uh, one of the first things I realized was I need to find out the things that she's passionate about so that I can give her things in line with those passions so that she could be happy. And we can do this one of two ways. For me, it was a lot of trial and error. So when we first started dating, um, I drove up to Virginia to escape a uh, hurricane um, with a friend, Cliff. You guys might remember Pastor Cliff. Uh, we drove up about 14 hours together and got up to Northern Virginia. And we got there. The first gift I ever gave Olivia was my beard. I don't know if you guys remember. I used to have a really long beard. I, I uh, tied it up and I put it in a, in a plastic bag as a show of this is my sacrificial love for you. So I gave it to her thinking that this would be a great gift. She got it and she said, what is this? And she threw it back at me. I realized that she's not too fond of long beards and, and uh, Ziploc bags. The second gift I gave her, um, I stopped by at this one shop and I bought this stuffed animal dog. He was really cute. I, li- I like stuffed animals. I like stuffed animal dogs. So I got it. I bought it. And I gave it to her. And she looked at it. And she said, oh, it's cute. I never saw it again after that. And so obviously I realized that she's not too fond of stuffed animals. I bought her maybe on a couple of occasions. I bought her flowers. And she was really excited about it. And she said, oh, they're just going to die anyways. And I realized that flowers are not the thing the way to her heart either. I would soon in time realize actually very quickly that the way to her heart was by finding out what she actually is passionate about and giving her things in line with her passions. I found out that Olivia loved that chicken from Popeye's. And so our first date, our first date, Fair Oaks Mall, Popeye's chicken, spicy chicken, she was loving it. And after that day, I had her hand in marriage. It was a beautiful story. (laughs) We all know that this is the way to have a relationship with somebody that you love. You find out the things that they're passionate about, and then you give them things in line with their passions. Have you ever wondered, what are the things that God our Father is passionate about? Not the things that people tell us he's passionate about, not the things you think he's passionate about, not the things I hope he's passionate about by trial and error, But really, what are the things that God is passionate about? What are the things that move his heart? What are the things that he says, these are the things that my heart beats for? These are the things that I give everything for. What are those things that move the heart of God? What are the passions that he has? And how can we please him by giving him things that he's passionate about? That's what I want to talk about for the next five weeks. The unfamiliar and the familiar passions of God. That title, The Unfamiliar Passions of God, is actually um, a title of a talk that Gary Hagan from International Justice Mission gave. But I, I, I put the on in parentheses because some of these things that we talk about over the next five weeks are things that are familiar to you, things that you'll recognize and say, oh, obviously these are the things that God is passionate about. I want to, by way of reminder, stir us up to be brought back on, uh, in line with God's mission for the world and God's mission and, and his purposes in life, to give him the things that we know he's passionate about, but also then to think about the things that the Bible says he's passionate about. They may be unfamiliar to us so that we might be people who are even more pleasing, not more pleasing, we, but to give God the kinds of gifts that really are pleasing and that move the heart of God. Okay, so today I want to look, begin by looking at Second Peter chapter 
Second Peter chapter three and looking at just two verses, verses eight and nine. Um, we're not going to go as long as uh, we typically go because I, I want to step off and give time for some of our confirmation and baptism candidates to share their stories as well. Um, so I just want to um, read this and then two points and then um, we'll, we'll go on with it. But second Peter, this is important. Chapter three, verses eight and nine. This is God's word to us. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is God's word. One of the things that the Bible makes clear is that there is a fourfold drama that has been unfolding from the beginning of time and will continue until time ends and stretches out into eternity. A fourfold drama that's playing out the first, it's creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Okay. Four stages to this unfolding drama. Creation, God created this world. Everything was good. Everything was perfect the way the world was supposed to be. No sickness, no illness, no death, none of that stuff. It was a perfect world. Man and women were, man and woman were naked. They were unashamed. They were interacting with the animals, with the plants. They were doing all of the things in intimate relationship with God. This is creation. It was perfect the way that it was meant to be. Fall. Okay. The second stage is soon after man and women fell into sin. And when sin entered, not only did it dis- not only was it a breaking of rules, it was a breaking of relationship, it was a breaking of that perfectly created world order. And so when sin entered, darkness entered into our world as well. And when darkness entered, came all kinds of evil things, injustice, um, hatred, wars, the New York Yankees, all these bad things entered into the world. And so the world, as we know it, is a fallen and broken world. But God did not sit idly by, and so he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to redeem that which was, which was broken. The only way that we could have a perfect world and be in a perfect world was that we lived the perfect life, but that was impossible because of sin. And so God sent his son Jesus to live that perfect life as our substitute, as our representative. And then on the cross, he died for the forgiveness and remission of our sins, and then he rose again for the promise of eternal life. That was redemption. We're living in between the third and fourth stages here. The redemption has happened, has been accomplished, has been applied in the lives of those who believe, and restoration is one day coming where Jesus Christ, according to the promise of God, is going to come again and set this broken world right again. And everything which is broken, right, rumors of another world are embedded within our hearts that tell us that a better world is still coming. And that is the restoration. And that's what Peter's been talking about for the first letter and the second letter. And he gets to this point in chapter 3 where he's responding to the critics. People are saying, you know what? He's not going to come. You guys have been saying that for such a long time, and he hasn't come yet. Right, if he hasn't come now, then he's probably not going to come at all. Right? There is no restoration. There is no Jesus coming again to make all that is broken right. This is the world we have, and this is the way it's going to end. This is what the skeptics were saying. And so in response to that, Peter writes, and what we read was just a snapshot, was just a snippet out of that letter, addressing that issue, addressing those skeptics, addressing those doubts and questions. And Peter is saying, aha, let me tell you a little something about time. And that God doesn't work on the same timetable as us. And ultimately, the deepest desire of his heart, in either his slowness or his quickness, whatever you consider it to be, 
his deepest desire is that people everywhere would not perish, but come to repentance and faith and the salvation that comes with it. So two thoughts here, two thoughts. When it seems like God is acting too slow, okay, when God seems to be too slow, it is his patience. When God seems to be acting too slow, it is his patience. Look at what it says. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. What does that mean? Like one day for us is like a thousand years. And then he goes on, and a thousand years are like a day. Let's take the second part first. A thousand years for us, that's longer than our lives. If we were to wait a thousand years, he's saying to God, that would just be like a day. Because his timing is different from us. And you've been waiting maybe a thousand years for something. That's just like a day in the eyes of God. In the mind of God, that's just like a day. Don't worry if you think he's taking too long because for him, it's really not that long. Have you ever wondered why, God, why are you so slow in doing certain things? We ask that, don't we? Like, God, why are you answering my prayers so slowly? Or have you ever asked this? You look at the news, you look, read the newspapers, and you hear about these suicide bombs. You read about Aurora, Colorado. People are just innocently watching Batman, having time with their families. And this crazed gunman comes in and he starts shooting people. And you wonder, God, why don't you just kill him right away? Or you, Osama bin Laden, God, why, didn't you, why did you let him, why did, why did it take so long for our people to find him? Why didn't you just, as soon as 9-11 hit, or as soon as he killed all these people, why didn't you just let him be found and captured and killed? Why did it take so long for Saddam Hussein, Idi Amin, all these people, these, these vicious, whoever it is, abortion doctors, why, God, why do you let them live so long? You ever wonder that? These people who ran their, these airplanes into 9-11, God, hurry, bring justice quickly. And, and why does it take so long? You ever ask that question? You ever ask that question? Then we probably need to turn the mirror to ourselves and ask God at the same time, God, when I live in willful rebellion against you, in constant deceit and lies, when I constantly live in a blasphemous lifestyle, living apart from the way that you want me to live, when I'm constantly yelling and screaming at my, my parents or my spouse or at, at my, my children, when I'm constantly turning away from you willfully, then at that point in time, why does God not strike us dead? And why is it that as soon as we give our lives to Christ, we don't get taken up into heaven? Why do we have to endure this broken world? that is still broken, that is still fallen, that still feels effects of the fall? Why do we have to live in this kind of a world? Why are you so slow in coming to make that which is wrong right? If you ever ask this question, then here's what Peter says in verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. When God seems to be acting too slow, it's his patience. Yet sometimes when our daughter Manny gets in trouble, we tell her, Manny, okay, uh, you need to listen. And she doesn't want to listen. We say, okay, here's, this is what every parent does, right? Okay, I'm going to count to three. And if you don't count to three, you're going to go to timeout. Right? Don't we all say this? And we start counting. One, two. Okay, so before I get to three, let me pause for a second. If you're one of their little friends, 
Right? You maybe, I don't know, in your malicious little mind, you want Manny to get in trouble and go to timeout. You're thinking, why is he counting so slowly? Aren't, you're a big person. You should count so much faster. I could count faster. One, two, three, that's it. Why are you counting so slowly? Isn't it clear that the reason I'm counting slowly is because this is my patience with my daughter allowing her to repent and to say, Daddy, I'm coming back to you. When it seems like the Lord is acting slow in bringing judgment, this is his patience with you, with me, with all those people. Because he doesn't want people to perish. We want people to perish, don't we? Haven't there been, maybe not for you, but there have been people, after, I, I heard this from my professor, and I started, there are people that I don't like very much. And one time I prayed that they would die. One day God's going to answer that prayer because one day they will die, but he's not answering in my timetable. I think God is acting slowly, but this is really God being patient. As much with me as it is with them. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. You read through the Bible and you see countless examples of times in which God should have been acting a lot faster according to the mindset of the people that he's talking to. But he's acting very slowly. Why is it took Noah so long to build that ark? Because for all of those years, Noah was preaching repentance to the people that he was talking to so that they could turn and they could jump on the ark as well. Why is it that it took Abraham so long when God promised him a land 400 years later, that land would be given to him? Why? Because the evil Amorite people were sitting in that land and he was giving them all of this time that they might repent, that they might be part of the people, they might be grafted into the people of God as well. Why is it that Abraham was given a promise that you will have a child and yet 25 arduous, painful years later, the fulfillment of that promise came because God was teaching them Abraham, Sarah, turn away from your own desire, from your own ways of trying to make this promise happen. Stop taking matters into your own hand. Turn away from that. Stop laughing and mocking my promises, but come back to me and believe. See, the first thing that God is showing us in this passage is when we think God is acting too slowly, it's not because he's acting slowly. It's because he's exercising his patience so that we might come back to him. And the reason why you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're still on earth is because there are people that God is being patient with that he wants us to go to and reach out the hope of Christ and share the hope of Christ with. Because God, in in keeping us here, is exercising his patience not only with us, but with other people as well. This is the first thing. When God seems to be acting too slowly, it's him being patient. The second thing then, when God seems to be acting too quickly, when God acts too fast, it's his warning. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. God's day can seem like an awfully long time to us. A thousand years, but just happens in a minute. And sometimes we're like, God, why did you act so quickly? Why didn't you wait? Why did it come so fast? Isn't it true that when something happens too quickly for us, it's usually because we're not prepared? Like, I, I've been watching baseball this week, and I, you know, 
technology is so great that they show like infinite slow motion replays of different things. And you watch a batter, he's, he's swinging, uh, standing up to hit a, a pitch, and a fastball comes like 95 miles an hour, and he swings too late. Right? That, ball's called a, that pitch is called a fastball. He swung and missed because he wasn't prepared for it. Isn't that the worst thing, to be unprepared when something happens too quickly? When you've got, you know, your cable guy says, I'm coming anytime between 8 and 12. And you think, well, he's probably going to come at 12 because they always come late. And so you're walking around in your pajamas and 8 o'clock on the dot, first call of the day, he comes in. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm still in my pajamas. And you run and he rings the door like eight times and then you finally go. Because when things happen too quickly for us, it's usually because we're not prepared. And we would be wise to make sure that we are prepared for the things in life that have the longest lasting effects. This is a simple fact of life that you know any time you, why is it that you study a whole lot more for the SAT than you do for that little quiz? Because the effects of the SATs are going to last a whole lot longer. It's going to determine where you go to college. It's going to determine then how you get a job. That's why people go through, spend all this time preparing for this one examination because they know that the effects of this examination are long-reaching. When you're going to buy a car, you don't just walk up one day and say, hey, you know what, I think I might buy a car without doing any research. If you don't know anything about cars, you ask your friends, you probably do some research online, you go to kellybluebook.com, whatever it is, you, you at least ask questions. You don't walk up and first car you see, I want to buy this because you know that this car is gonna, hopefully is going to last you for a long time. And the things that are going to make the most last, long-lasting effect are the things that we need to be most prepared for. And the one event in life that is going to have the farthest-reaching effects that every single one of us is going to face is our death. The question is, are you prepared to die? Because of the finality of death, We don't spend a lot of time preparing for it. What we do is we spend a lot of time ignoring it, pushing it aside, trying to get it out of our minds. To delay death, to doubt death, to deny death. To do all of these things to push aside. That's why the health club industry is booming. Because people want to get their bodies in shape so that they can extend their lives, so that they can push death as far away as they can. That's why the cosmetic surgery industry is booming because people don't want to look in the mirror and see daily reminders of the fact that one day time is ticking and that one day they're going to expire. They don't want to see that. That's why the health with the organic food industry is booming and thriving because people realize that I need to take care of my body so that I can live as long as I can. So we do as much as we can to delay the inevitable and then something happens. Something happens that just kind of awakens us from our slumber. And this past week, my, one of my college roommates, right, same age as me, which is still very, very young, same age as me, had brain surgery. He had a couple strokes. My age, brain surgery, threat of not being able to recover from that. Uh, two people that are very close to Olivia and myself, their fathers passed away this week. Some of our people in our congregation have family members who are ill and who are suffering and things like that remind us, hey, hey, one day our time is coming too. And a lot of times, I don't know many people. I mean, some people, yeah, when their family members have reached reached uh, an old, fulfilling 
age of 100 or 90, they say, okay, it's their time to go. But the great majority of people, 95% of the time, don't we say, it, it just happened too quickly. They were taken from us too soon. I have a, a book on my bookshelf that somebody gave to me last year. It's entitled, I Wasn't Ready to Say Goodbye. Don't we all have relationships like that? You just ask God, God, why, why did, why so soon? And I think about that song by Third Day. It goes something like, uh, to everyone who's lost someone they, they know long before it was their time. You feel like the days you had were not enough when you had to say goodbye. It just happens in the blink of an eye and all happens so quickly. And sometimes we wonder, why did all these things happen? And then we, we, we go to their funeral, we hear these stories. And um, in Crazy Love, Francis Chan talks about this. It's this, this great piece, and I, I'm not, I can't quote it verbatim, but he says something to the effect of we go to these funerals, and funerals are nothing but a bunch of people going up there, and they're talking about somebody. And the obligation of funerals is you can never speak badly about people. And so you embellish their lives in such a way that you want to give them a semblance of a meaningful life. But the great majority of people have lived so selfishly that they don't have a meaningful life. And he says, you're sitting there in the audience and you're thinking what everybody else is thinking. They weren't really that great. And then at the end of it, Francis says, I say this not as a knock on those who have passed away, but as a warning to those who are still living. See, when some people are taken from us in what we think is long before their time, it's God's way of warning us. And the question he asks us is, are you prepared to face your maker, to face your creator, to face the judge of all the earth. In Luke 13, it says the same thing. Jesus tells a story about this tower in Siloam that fell down and it killed all these people. And the people are asking Jesus, whose fault was it? Who sinned? And Jesus says, that's not the point. It wasn't because they were more wicked than you guys. That's not the point at all. The point is that if you don't turn and put your faith in me, then the same thing's going to happen to you. You're going to die as well. This is not about them at this point. This is a warning to us. You think, are we prepared? Because the heartbeat of God, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the heartbeat of God. This is what he wants. This is what he longs for. This is his desire for you and me. And when it feels like, hey, you know what? God's taken too long. I have sinned all of my life, and I'm not living in the consequences of it. I've got it made. I've made it all the way, and I've done it my way. I don't care about God. Could it be that instead of you thinking that way, could it be that God is simply exercising his patience with you because he doesn't want you to perish, but that you would turn away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ? And for others of us who feel like, you know what, I've got all day, or hey, you know what, I thought I had all day, and then all, all life, and all of a sudden, these things start happening that are confronting me with the reality of my mortality. See, this is 
God's heart is not only that he wants people to come to repentance, that he doesn't want us to be lost, but he was willing to pay the price as well. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world on a rescue mission. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, which is all of us. He says, I've paid the way. I've made it possible. All you need to do, see, every other religion tells, every other worldview says, you've got to do all of these things. He says, it's already been done at the cross. All you need to do is to believe, is to trust, and to put your faith here. And all over the world, people have been doing it for the past 2,000 years. And God's saying, that's my heartbeat. And even though God is patient, but the reality is that at one point, the door to Noah's ark had to be closed. And he was not patient forever because one day the story of the book of our lives is going to close as well. And the question we ask right now before the story ends is are we ready? Are we prepared? Have we put our faith in the one who can save our soul? Let's pray together. This is the most familiar passion of God. God is passionate about the generations. He's passionate about the nations. But the first thing God is passionate about, along with the glory of God, he's passionate about salvation. Not just the salvation of the world, but you and me as individuals. And he's passionate about your life and about your soul. So as we pray to the Lord now, I just want to invite us to respond. Right? For some of us in here, you, you know, for a lot of us in here, you've already put your faith in Christ. Praise God for that. Um, let's pray for those in our lives. Family members, friends, right? co-workers, people who may not know the Lord, who may not be prepared to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. Let's pray for them. And for others of us, maybe you haven't, given your life to Christ and haven't put your faith in him. And he's saying, um, my patience with you is because I long for you to come and put your faith in me. You think today you could do that. Then your heart, you can pray that to the Lord. God, I confess that I've broken relationship with you through my wrongdoings. And I believe that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I put my trust in you to be my forgiver, but also my new king. Help me to be who you want me to be. We just pray that prayer. So let's just pray for a couple moments right now. Just pray for a couple moments as we respond, as we reflect on this word. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer. And we'll continue in our worship by giving our gifts and our offerings and then continue to hear God's appeal through the testimonies of those who put their faith in him. Let's pray together for a couple moments.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much. God, when we think of when we think of pictures of God through movies or through the faiths of others, through other world religions, world religions, we think of a God who is uh, stoic and unknowable and distant, who rules the world from afar. And yet, your word tells us that love came down. It was not just an abstract theory, but you came down into this world and did for us what we could not do on our own. We thank you so much that love is here and that love is available and that love is eternally patient with your people. But for those who stand under our own judgment because of our own sins, may we know that it's your patience and your kindness that ultimately leads and drives us to repentance so that we can live under the eternal favor of God. So move within our hearts and stir us to share the hope of the gospel of the everlasting God with those who need to know. And may it be our joy to share the greatest news that we've ever known with those around us. Thank you so much. We love you because you have loved us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you rise as we give our time?